0: Welcome to HR Unpacked, a podcast about HR workplace issues, where we analyze and then discuss the latest developments in HR and employment law that impact both employers and employees. Each episode, we unpack the latest legislation and regulations to provide practical guidance on how to tackle the HR issues that are affecting the world of work. Welcome, Kate.
1: Yeah, hi, Jonathan. Um, pleasure to be back today. So, yeah, welcome to our, our podcast today. We're going to be looking at the implications of PNO's decisions to sack eight hundred staff members without consultation. You have no doubt seen it all over the media and in the news. Um, and we're going to talk about what effect this will have on on staff members' lives and certainly the wider implications for employment relations in the UK. Um, and with that, we are delighted to welcome today John Lansdowne. So John um, was a, a p and staff member. He's had two stints with the company, in fact, starting in 1998. And, and John, obviously, you'll you'll come into the podcast in a little while but and give us more context and information. But you've worked as a sous chef on the Pride of Canterbury, I believe. And, and as I understand it, you've refused to the redundancy terms that have been offered as well us signing the non-disclosure agreement so you'll be able to give us some real good insight into how it feels being on the receiving end of this so John certainly first and foremost welcome to today's podcast.
2: Thank you both for having me on the podcast today it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Thanks um, Kate and thanks John again. Um, So it's been a bit of a whirlwind story over the last three weeks and it's had a major impact on um, people like John so who are P&O and exactly what's happened well, p and Ferries are now owned by DP World. Um, they're a multinational logistics company based in, in Dubai. And they've stated that um, they're having a year-on-year loss of £100 million and that the business is no longer viable. That's their stance at the moment, which is why they've then taken the decision to sack 800 staff members. It was done via a three-minute pre-recorded message. The plan is to replace them with cheaper agency workers. So this happened on the 17th of March, 2022. And that would be the final day um, of those staff members. The company said it was a tough decision, but it would not be viable. It wouldn't be a viable business without these changes. It was the changes to um, the staff contracts and the operational side of things as well. Now the CEO of PO, Peter, Peter Hebworthwaite, admitted to a commons committee that investigated what had happened, that he had effectively broken the law, but he had no option, no other option to do so. He felt that the company wouldn't be able to operate. The government and the government ministers are not happy about this. Um, they weren't made aware of the planned redundancies. They were made aware that some redundancies were potentially going to happen, but not when. And they just presumed that they would follow the law around making collective redundancies. Now, the fallout from this is that um some of the PO ships have actually been held in port by the Maritime and Coast Guard Agency and they've not been able to um, operate um, until the 12th of April for some of the services. So it's had a massive impact on not only the, the 800 staff members that have been effectively sacked, but also companies and people who actually use the service as well. Now, p have stated that they're paying enhanced redundancy payments for the lack of consultation, which we we're going to discuss with John um, in a moment. They did say it will save the company money and it will make them more competitive, especially some of the other um, competitors operating around um, the UK and around the world as well. So that's the basis of why Pino made this decision. So, what's been the, the impact of this, Kate?
1: Well, I mean, I'm sure you've all seen that the attention that this subject, and understandably so, has got over the past few weeks since mid March has been. Uh, tremendous. There's been so much press. You know, we we've done press at Peninsula on it about what is a redundancy, how to do it properly, what is fire and rehire because this is technically not that. So all those subject matters have come into the forefront of of the news. So employment law and and HR and importantly how to treat people in the midst of the law because that's key. How to treat people as humans and how to have empathetic and difficult discussions has all been in the press. You know, it's filled filled the news programs. I mean, you touched on there, the CEO, Pete Heblethwaite, is faced substantial and, and widespread criticism, to, to say the least. I think one member of Scottish Parliament called him the most hated man in Britain. Now, you, know, you take that as you, as you so wish, but but clearly it's caused a lot of angst, anxiety, unrest, worry, concern, which no doubt, you know, John will come on to in a little while. And of course, the unions are massively involved, you know, that the decision to terminate the employment of hundreds of employees without due notice and consultation as, as, has obviously gathered that momentum and pace and, and interest the brand damage. Um, I've spoken to people who have said outrightly that they would not use PO again. So ironically and counterproductively, it'll be interesting to see how business progresses in due course um, and 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 the customer engagement and the sales, quite frankly, because the brand damage, it, you know, it, it's going to have a massive impact based on their actions and how they've treated this pool of staff. Um A thing or or a rule that that P&O are relying on is seafarers laws, which basically allowed them to say that they would pay different wages below the national minimum wage, dependent on where the boat is registered. So it'll be interesting to see the changes that come to fruition from the government around those laws, the loophole as it's being referenced, and whether that will change in due course. So we wait with with bated breath. And and last but not least, the insolvency service is taking civil and criminal action against PO for failing to notify the government of the redundancies according to the legal requirement. Because where 20 or more redundancies are proposed in a period of 90 days or less, the employer should notify the insolvency service of the exercise, um, and they failed to do so. So there's a whole host of things in the mix here, Jonathan: That um, reputational damage, legal proceedings, potential tribal. Tribunal claims, reputational damage as a touchdown and brand awareness and future customer engagement. It's all going on, but they could have done it right if they had uh, done a a proper consultation process with proper two-way meaningful discussions with those affected and we'll come on to that it's just so frustrating that it it wasn't done in a proper and meaningful way
0: yeah i i completely agree businesses can make a decision and they have to make tough decisions but they have to follow the law and they have to treat staff fairly and I think it's a good time to bring in John at this point and and talk, John, if that's okay, about, you know, if you could start off by talking about, you know, what happened, if you don't mind, on, on that day in March um, when you were um, told about what was going to happen to the future of your employment with p How did it kind of all start off? Can you talk about what actually happened, please?
2: Yeah, so the, the, the day started off the same as any other. We went downstairs to the galley, the head chef and I, after doing our handover, and there was a, an email there to say that all the vessels would have to be berthed in port and discharged of their cargo and their passengers so the company could make uh, an announcement which was going to facilitate the long-term viability of P&O ferries. Now, I've been saying for a while that I could see fire and rehire coming for a whole host of reasons. And as um, the morning went along, it was clear that that was going to be the case, or so I thought. We heard all sorts of rumours that there was replacement crew in in buses, in various different service stations near Dover. We got wind of an email from a a security company to its staff to say there was a, a confidential operation being planned at the port of Dover and they would require their um, staff to be handcuffed trained. Mm-hmm. This is odd. And the reason they wanted them to be handcuffed trained because there was going to be a mass redundancy announcement and there might be some civil disobedience. That was the reasons given on this email. Then about 11am on the 17th, security boarded the vessel with a third 3rd party agent acting on behalf of the company to deliver us the news that we'd all been sacked it was quite humiliating, actually. You know, we saw, like I say, I saw fire and rehire coming, as did a few of my colleagues, but not this fire and replace, or just plain fire. And it was done in the most brutal and humiliating and undignified of ways. And it's it's a bitter pill to swallow because those they weren't just those ships; they weren't just our jobs. They were our homes as well. We spent more time on board those vessels than what we did with our own friends and family. And it's a it's a double whammy: the violation. You know, we've had our our cabins rifled through, all our belongings turfed out that are supposedly going to be sent back to us. I have had some returned to me, although they weren't my belongings; they were someone else's. It's just the most brutal and undignified uh, piece of corporate vandalism that I can remember in in my lifetime
0: it's sounding it's really powerful john when you go through like that you know it 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 sounds brutal absolutely brutal what happened you've had the notice on that on the 17th of march um you know what's going to happen what happened after that was did did the staff come together did you picket the company what what happened afterwards afterwards
2: once we got over the initial shock, because it was as low someone had died because like i say we live together we work together we eat together we laugh together we got through covid together Backwards and forwards on those ships. Once we got through the initial shock, and you know, just the, the look on uh, the faces of some of my fellow seafarers, the the horror, and you know, the the long term mental health implications of. Of this isn't to be underestimated either but once once we you know got essentially kicked off the ship we went to the local union office where a, a demonstration was uh, quickly organized and things picked up from there really as you've seen you know all the all the coverage not just not just in this country it's gone around the world and the condemnation from from political parties of all stripes And the entire country is outraged by this decision. You know, there are very many of us who remember a a chap by the name of uh, Gerald Ratner, tanked the value of uh, Ratner's jewelers with his uh, ill-informed comments. Well, it's time for Gerald Ratner to move over. Take a bow, Peter Hebblethwaite and co. Because this is extraordinary. And I hope that we never, ever see anything like this repeated again or that, anyone else has to go through that i and my colleagues went through on the 17th.
0: have you have you been through a redundancy process before at pno have
2: have, the, have done it previously yes several several of them you know there, there's a there's a process in which to follow there's a due process and they think because well you know We've got lots of money, well, depending on what day of the week is anyway. But we've got loads of money. We've got power. The law doesn't apply to us. We, On this occasion, we're going to rip up the rule book. And along with you know the, the law that they've chose to ignore, they've also ripped up their own um, Corporate social responsibility book too. What people in HR were thinking at the time when this was supported, you know, that remains to be seen if there was any pushback. But you only have to look through pno's corporate social responsibility to say this—they've ripped that up as well. You know, invest in our, in our people is one of the sections. Well, they—they they haven't, you know, they've—they haven't given us any value in this situation at all haven't cared one iota about the implications on us as human beings on our families let alone the local economy and the damage it's going to do there extraordinary
0: so the news the news that is coming out is that the nearly 100 percent of staff members um have accepted the enhanced redundancy pay i think it's 786 crew members have accepted it at the moment that's what's been reported and you've stated um that you're not going to accept enhanced redundancy is that correct
2: that is correct and i haven't the deadline has now passed for me to sign the so-called enhanced redundancy uh with that came uh, a non-disclosure agreement a gagging order for want of a better phrase and that wasn't terms that were acceptable to me and given the bigger picture and the long-term ramifications if P&O are allowed to get away with this.
0: Would you you be able to talk about the exact details? Because I know you mentioned it previously about what the difference might be, Uh, not necessarily monetary terms, but what the difference would be in terms of annual or weekly salary? Because there is a massive difference, isn't there, between enhanced redundancy and statutory redundancy?
2: Yes. So statutory redundancy, in my case, is approximately £12,000. The enhanced package, Subject to a gagging order, was close to thirty thousand. So that it's a big, big difference. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. However, I th- you know, when I when I think about this and the long term implications on what it can do to people's lives and livelihoods, it only takes one of us to take the stand and keep speaking out about this and hold PNO to account. And that is what I intend to do. There's a line called right and wrong, and I know what side of that line that I'm. I'm on. In, t-
0: in terms of the future then of P&O, would you have any concerns about the staff members are taking on? Not just because of on a lesser salary, but the way they've done it and how they're doing it.
2: Yes, yeah, abs- absolutely. So they keep, P&O keep trotting out the line that these are experienced seafarers that they've replaced of, us, us with. So, you know, whether they are or whether they aren't, you might get a seafarer who's done 20 years working on a small fishing boat or a coaster you know, where there's only a handful of crew. Working on a super ferry where you're carrying 1,000, maybe 2,000 passengers, completely different kettle of fish. And what we have seen recently is the Maritime and Coast Guard Agency carry out two inspections of P&O vessels. Two vessels have failed their safety inspections. That is unheard of, absolutely unheard of. So, yeah, there are going to be implications, and the public are going to see that as well. think, hang on a minute, they failed. Safety inspections. They've they've had their ships detained. They're in, and from an ethical standpoint as well as uh, they're employing people on wages of approximately five pound fifty an hour. Is if Mr. Hebblethwaite is to be believed, and I think you know people are going to give them a wide berth. The brand damage. That that's immeasurable.
0: And, and what's the next steps for you then, John? So you're not currently are you are you currently working for P and O, but just going through the redundancy process, or is your your employment now finished
2: no my employment is now finished my employment with pno was terminated on the 17th of march 2022 so i i don't receive um, a statutory settlement payment until the 15th of this month so it's a little bit like being in no man's land we've been dismissed but yet we're still waiting for our um our, our payoff
0: and how do you intend to kind of continue the fight against pno what, what would you like the unions to do, and what are you going to do individually yourself?
2: So, in terms of uh, the union, uh, in terms of legal action, I still expect the union to sue PO for the uh, for the protective awards for failing to carry out collective consultation. And there's much more broader things we can do in terms of boycott programs and demonstrations as well, and continue to campaign for better employment. Conditions and rights for seafarers, not just UK based, but internationally too.
0: And what's the future holding for yourself then in uh, terms of what you're going to be
2: doing? I've been very fortunate to secure other employment and like i say going forward that is going to be my focus to give it my all to my my new employer and carry on in the background holding P&O to account okay what what are your
0: thoughts in terms of, of what's happened to john and, and what P&O should have done
1: yeah well i mean john first and foremost just sat here listening to your story it's, it's obviously really impactful and you know i'm just glad you've you've got new employment as you touched on at the end which is is one positive to take from it so that's wish you all the best with that but but. But yes, certainly sat here listening to that story. And obviously, being in HR, we we at Peninsula, sadly, are dealing with clients that are facing potential redundancies day in, day out. Certainly after COVID, we saw an initial spike of potential redundancies. And look, redundancies are one of the fair reasons for dismissal that no one likes to do because it's when work of a particular kind has ceased or diminished. Now, obviously, that's questionable as to whether it even fits the definition in P&O's situation because of the agency staff. But, you know, if, if a business does have a situation where work of a particular type has ceased or diminished, they have a potential redundancy. But I stress the word potential because before you can reach any termination point, any dismissals of employees, there is a whole host of things that you should and and you've got to do to make it a fair dismissal. So firstly, the advice would always be pull together your business case, your rationale. Now, obviously, P&O talked about their their losses, their their monetary losses, but, but what's below the headlines? What have they tried to... Do to avoid those, you know, what has the company done to avoid a redundancy situation to date? That's a really important point. And then what you should do is explain the really detailed, not just the headlines, the detailed rationale of the business case and the why there is a redundancy to those affected. But then triggers a consultation process where the employee is still in employment and you have to have a, a plethora, at, at least, you know, we advise if it's less than 20 redundancies, at least three meetings over two weeks. And that's if it's a small pool of redundancies. As that gets bigger, the consultation period, the collective ta- the collective consultation period timeframes become greater, which we'll touch on. But that period of consultation is, is a two-way conversation. Here's the business rationale. Have you got any ideas of how we can avoid a mandatory forced dismissal and you take ideas from the workforce and along that road you also look at alternative employment are there any other roles within the business the group that might be in place to avoid a dismissal and unions are involved or selected elected representatives and and that consultation period you, you know could last some some time and it's really important that that takes place the fact that that didn't take place in any way shape or form and also the fact that there wasn't a, a, a fair dismissal, work of a particular kind has not ceased or diminished. Arguably, the process has failed in, in, in two ways. It's failed because it's questionable if there was ever a redundancy at all. And secondly, it's failed because there's not been due process. And those two factors alone, Jonathan, lead to the um, pretty firm assessment that there will be an unfair dismissal award. Um, and successful claim here. What I would say, though, is um, I would stress the first point, you know, redundancies are happening all the time. Unfortunately, but it's the way that they are undertaken. You know, if, if you come to the end of a redundancy process and the employee is thankful for the way they've been treated because you've exhausted all options, you've done it in an empathetic and human way, you know, whilst it's unfortunate it's led to a dismissal, it's a successful process because it's been done properly. And the fact, John, that you touched on the, the situation that there's been redundancies in P&O and, and, and done properly mm. clearly suggests they know how to do it, they know the right way, but for whatever reason in the circumstance, they chose to take that commercial risk but clearly it's come back to bite massively Jonathan
0: I agree you've got to do it in the right way and if you don't do it in the right way it has I think a, a lifetime effect on people who, who should have been treated rightly people like yeah. John John if if Pino would have um consulted properly you know Kate's mentioned about you know the 45 days and, and going through mm. the correct process would it have made any difference do you think at all to to what would have happened in terms of how you thought about it or what you will have done or would it have actually helped you
2: out yeah massively massively and and here is the reasons why so we went through two redundancy programs in 2020 and they those redundancy programs were they they were really constructive in terms of how they worked with the trade union and i believe very very few people left under compulsory terms they all went voluntarily piano and the union between them devised a scheme called the piano ferries job retention scheme like a furlough scheme within the furlough scheme so that saved jobs as well and you know, people accepted you know that change had to happen then for a whole host of reasons not to mention mention covid but you've got the time to to prepare for it as well you know you no changes come in. You know your jobs at risk, but you've got that time. You've got the length of that consultation period. But this was just so so instant as well. And this this is what sh- has shocked people and affected uh, people's mental mental health. And you just you touched on as well. P and I said, well, we've lost hundred million pounds year year on year. Well, they haven't published their uh, their finan- financials for twenty twenty one yet. They say they were under no pressure from the parent company DP World in which to do it, and it remains today the most commercially powerful body currently operating in the Maritime.
1: Just just to touch on one thing you mentioned there John about the mental health ramifications yeah. of the whole process just hooking uh, uh, into what you said about the instantaneous process you were told and, and that was it Um, you know as, as you touched on over the course of a consultation process you can begin to comp- compartmentalise mm. it and understand it and accept it if it's done in a meaningful way you know and there's a few things employers could be doing during that consultation process process to to make it even more meaningful for staff. So, for example, you know, we have clients that do career advice training during a consultation process to help people pull the CV together and and aid them to get future employment. And, And likewise, you know, opening up access to an employee assistance program for people that may be struggling with anxiety or, or concerns th- throughout a consultation process. So there's further initiatives to aid any struggles with mental health or, or aid success in future employment that employers could be and, and should be considering really. And taking the legal side, that all helps demonstrate their fair approach and the fact that they're putting the human into it so just some other things that our clients would regularly instigate
2: yes but they have they have made some of those things which you've mentioned kate available they have already pulled the trigger it's too late now yeah, yeah. Work, they've had the shock of it they've had you know once you start experiencing mental health issues it's hard to reverse that a lot of you know the, 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 say the trigger was pulled on the 17th without any consideration at all to people, to human beings. And, you know, you can, you can provide all the support, but at least if you went through a uh, consultation period, people have got, like you say, time to com- uh, compartmentalise that and process it. Now they haven't. It's too late. You know, yeah. they're walking around directionless, lost, wondering where they're going to get a job next in very many cases. And some of my colleagues, this is all they know. They've been at sea since they were 16 in some cases. It was a job for life. Never written a CV before in their life.
1: Yeah, is that something that you, the team are being offered? Are they being offered some career guidance and and assistance of how to pull together a CV, etc.?
2: They are. They are. Yes, they have. They have been. Um, yeah. But again, it's it's too late. They're out of a job and they're in a, you know. A field of hundreds of people, or just would just take Dover for example. Dover is already suffering, and I'd say at least three four hundred of those seafarers that were sacked are from Dover or the immediate area. So straight away, they're all in, you know competing for, for the jobs that are available in the local labour market. Put
0: adds pressure to them as well. It's it's a good point you've raised, Kate, because I know both got HR backgrounds, and I've always felt that sometimes HRs kept in the background a little bit. I know John. We'll ask you in a moment about your thoughts about the HR support that's within place at p or the the kind of strategy of of HR at p But sometimes HR is a a bit of a second thought, and 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 Mm -hmm. finance really, and finance sometimes is the first thought, and sometimes you have to think, okay, we've, we've got to make these decisions, but get HR involved from the very start to say, this is what you need to do to support your biggest assets within the company. You've got to have, like you mentioned, Kate, and, John, you've kind of reiterated it. You've got to have all these support mechanisms in place even before you start to go down this road because once people have that trigger of mental health and, and well-being issues, you can't reclaim it. There's no way of going back. So you've got to have that HR support beforehand and definitely the start of the process as well. And it's quite clear that p have gone for the nuclear option. They've accepted how much money they're going to lose and they've estimated it's going to be about £36 million in compensation this is without any any tribunal claims so 36 million pounds they would probably they'll probably reclaim that back within a matter of months based on the new operation and models and the other thing is is they're owned by a, a massive multinational company so it is, like you said, Kate. You know, it's 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 a bit laughable, really, to say the redundancies because it's costing the company too much to operate when it, it's owned by one of the biggest, not just logistics companies in the world, but one of the biggest companies in the world. So HR have got to be at the forefront of these types of processes. They've got to be there f- from the very start, at least, to guide the company on what to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would just make a point there as well. Um, that obviously, there's the law, and and. <laughs> you know questionable about legal compliance in this case in general but there's the law and you know a company can be compliant with the law and tick boxes and do it in a legal way and not actually have a claim but there's a clue in the title isn't there HR human resources you know the way a business operates and and executes these legally compliant process which is the which they could be, tick all the boxes, do it right, could be so cold and so um, lacking in empathy that it actually does more does more damage to the reputation. So there's two things in play, isn't there? When a company's running a process like this, a redundancy process, they have to be legally compliant, but they also have to do it in a way that recognises a a fundamental aspect that at the centre of this is a person, you know, and all the contextual things around that, the words they choose, how the tone of the meetings that they have, where they have the meetings, the wording in a letter, that's all really key because the law alone can be very cold the way it's done can be much more meaningful and and you know I always say it's never nice to dismiss people but if they walk out of a room and shake your hand in a dismissal meeting you know it's not nice for anyone but you know you've done it in a humanistic way Mm. in a way that it is fair Um, and you know I always say that to clients make sure you can you sleep at night and you've walked out of that room with an employee and done the best you can in the unfortunate circumstances and i think that's really key jonathan as probably a final point from me
0: yeah i completely agree it has to be done in the right way and and although it is the probably the worst thing you have to do in hr it should be done in the right way and most people would accept it as long as you follow the right process and they know exactly what the outcome will be of the process as well but it, it it To to bring it to a conclusion, it it looks at ethical leadership as well. You know, ethical leadership, you know, we teach at university a lot at the moment. Um, It's a big, big thing. You know, lots of leaders around the world now talk about ethical leadership. It's about treating people in the right way and dealing with people in the right way. You know, the draconian leadership, autocratic styles has gone out the window now, and it's all about treating people in the right way and following the rules as well. The Institute of Directors has said, Peter Hebblethwaite, could face court proceedings under the company director's disqualf- disqualification act because he hasn't followed the rules. So you've got to follow the rules and you have to treat staff in a fair and ethical way as well.
2: So we we used to have a very good HR department in my view, but I think in terms of the whole HR thing in general, we have regressed a lot because, you know, the people, you know, a, again, like you said, about doing things ethically. And I'm just, you know, um, everyone requires a different approach. Human beings are different. And when you're dealing with other human beings, some people, you know, like the like softly, softly approach, some people you have to be a bit more robust with. Now, from a HR perspective, they're looking down a very, very na- narrow tunnel of, no, it's got to be very, very softly, softly, etc., cetera, et cetera. And that doesn't always bring the desired outcomes and you can still go away. If you approach things holistically, you can still do things in an ethical way. So I think our, the whole HR approach in general needs to be reassessed and think, actually, what? why are we here? Well, first and foremost, we're here to stop the company from breaking the law, which it, it really, in essence, that's what they're there for. Then go from there, look at, you know, to take those different aspects into account because things you know things aren't always black and white I've always found black and white thinking is really unhelpful when it hinders progress
0: okay thanks thanks kate and thanks john especially that's uh john lansdowne who um did work for PO and it's really good of you john to to come on to our podcast and talk you know really openly about a subject which must have been horrific for you to go through and obviously you're still still managing what's happening as well but it's really really good of you to come on to our podcast and to talk about your experiences
2: today no it's been an absolute pleasure to contribute to your pod- podcast thank you for having me on
1: thank you john from me also.
2: Okay,
0: you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms, just search for HR Unpacked. If you want to ask a question uh, to myself or Kate, click on the link in the episode notes to ask us any questions, as well as download the free episode guide. HR Unpacked is sponsored by Peninsula, providers of professional services to small businesses across the UK. Their services go beyond employment law and HR to cover health and safety management, insurance, employee well-being, and much more besides. Peninsula service is always provided by a hand-picked team of experts so you can be sure you're getting the best, all of which means more peace of mind for you and more time for you to concentrate on what you do best, growing your business. Established and headquartered right here in Manchester, they now provide services to small businesses in Ireland, Australia, New Zealand and Canada, meaning that more people than ever are protected by Peninsula.